Hello, my name is Beth. I am a midwife, mother of four, and founder of the Bumps Baby Chapter. And welcome to Midwife at Your Cervix podcast. Today, we have Jamie on the podcast. So Jamie has two children. She's done hypnobirthing with both of her births, but found that she had two very different birth situations. Jamie talks to us today about how she used hypnobirthing in both of these very different birth situations. If you like the podcast, please remember to like and follow and give us a rating. Hey, Jamie, thanks so much for coming on to Midwife at Your Cervix, uh, my new podcast. Uh, could you just start off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Firstly, thank you for having me. I am so excited that you've started a podcast. It's been a long time coming and I'm just so excited about it. Um, so a bit about me. So I am a mum of two. Um, my children are six and two, half friend kit. Um, we live in Gloucestershire. Um, I've also got two very naughty dogs. And yeah, and I run a TikTok account all about budgeting and sort of living family life to our best, but on a budget in these nice. wild financial times. <laughs> What's your TikTok account called? He is called Savvy Jamie on TikTok and on Instagram. I am Savvy Jamie Rose. So you're on today to talk about hypnobirthing. I am. And all of your experiences, because obviously you've said you've you've had two two births. Yep. Um, and what was it that got you into hypnobirthing? How did you first hear about it? Uh yeah, what made you go? So I I was pregnant with my first baby and I was petrified of birth. I would probably go as far as saying I had a phobia of birth. I think I spent my whole life, like sadly many people, hearing so many negative stories about how birth is awful. I thought it was going to be this just catastrophic day that I just wanted to be over and done with and just have my baby. Yeah, like and block out of your mind. A hundred percent. Like just get through it. Yeah. Get your teeth, bear it. Yeah. Because yeah. in my head, I was like, sorry, a baby comes out of where? You know, like, <laughs> they no. Yeah. And I'm also quite needle phobic. So I think oh, that too, fine. I was like, and the thought of having like, um cannulas and yeah it just everything about it was like no yeah and obviously I was overjoyed to be pregnant so it was kind of sad that I had this huge fear over what was going to happen in nine months time so I can't remember how I fully first heard about hypnobirthing but I started to see it I think it was quite new this 2016 I think it was sort of like up and coming told my husband about it he thought it was a load of bs yes he was like how is this going to help you have a baby So then I showed him a video on YouTube by Giovanna Fletcher, who just had a baby and was raving with Tom about hypnobirthing. And so Austin agreed. I think he agreed more just to appease me. I think he was like, you're clearly terrified. So if this is going to help you one percent, then now supporting you rather than doing it yeah, Yeah. Now he's a total convert. He, yeah, like loves hypnobirthing. He, if he's got, he even told me he's got a colleague at work expecting their first baby. And he's like, have you heard about hypnobirthing? And I was so proud. <laughs> but I was like, yes, you tell them. <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. So that was how I first heard about hypnobirthing. So you did hypnobirthing then with your first. Yeah. Um, what was, what was that like? Like what, what, how did it change you? What did you then expect? your birth to be like like what was your plan yeah first but so I really wanted an unmedicated birth with my first I yeah. think largely because I was scared of needles so I thought in t- as unmedicated as in terms of anything that doesn't require me to have a cannula okay so you do want a cannula pain relief like drugs like what was your so I was hoping to go drugs? for well I wanted gas and air I was hoping yeah. to go for just gas and air and I did I was kind of kind to myself I think through hypnobirthing I thought you know 
I'll take more if I need it. Like yeah. that's just, I didn't want to set like a rigid birth plan of like, we're doing this, we're not doing this. So everything was very much like, let's see how it goes. Especially when you've not had a baby before. Like you have yeah. no clue how you're going to cope with birth. Yeah. Um, or, you know, what your baby's going to do in birth. Everything's different, isn't it? So yeah, so I very much, I wanted to try, I wanted a water birth, really wanted a water birth. Um, so for you, it wasn't about, you weren't scared of or worried about the pain as such. It was more, you were worried about the needles and any drama that comes yeah. with that, so that was fair? Like, I think was so. About the pain as well? I think I was a bit, I think I'd bit grown up pain. my whole life as well being told I've got a low pain threshold, which actually yeah. I don't think I do. I think that's quite a thing that a lot of women maybe are told that we're like quite weak and don't have high pain thresholds and so again I was thinking I'm not going to cope I'm going to be the one like screaming the place down um not that it's that bad thing if you scream the place down do what you want to do but yeah I just didn't want to be this awful day yeah um yeah fine so when you had so when you did your hypnobirthing then so how did that change your um like attitude towards birth and things I was so excited to give birth so I did an in-person course and I was just, I was ready for it. I was i was excited, which I never, ever imagined. I'd go from being terrified to being like, I'm going to have a baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it completely changed everything. I think I just felt like I could, I could handle it. I felt like I understood what was going to be happening with my body. And I felt like I had tools in place to keep myself calm, to keep myself grounded. And also Austin had a role. I think that's a big thing about hypnobirthing too. I think a lot of birth partners can feel like, what are they meant to do in labor apart from like have their hands squeezed? And I think hypnobirthing gives birth partners a role, doesn't it? And things they can do to feel like they're an active participant. Yeah. But, and that is so important, important for partners yeah. there because, you know, is, is you're as, as a partner, you're, you're like the biggest oxytocin source in that room. So you can be the difference between like making that day or, or that mum feeling alone like partners really do make such an impact Massively. and we can see the difference as midwives when like some some women are actually they they don't actually really want their partners too close to them which is equally fine yes. as well um but then you get others who you can kind of tell that they need a little bit more reassurance of things yeah and sometimes some partners are obviously better than others in the birth yeah. room like we see a good spectrum but yeah, they really do make or break. Yeah. Make or break a birth. I think also they know you better than anyone. Yeah. So like obviously they're a source of oxytocin, but I think also, you know, I've had friends who have wanted um, midwives to have discussions with their partner and their partner sort of like relays information to their, yeah. their wife because they are the ones that know how to say it in a way that isn't going to freak her out or yeah. whatever. So I think things like that, like Austin during our birth, um, funnily enough I didn't really want to be touched I was like don't touch me he started like trying to do like some like nice like soft touch massage that we practice all through pregnancy and I was like get your hands off me yeah but like he did exactly what I wanted he did everything I said to him he did it so he was amazing he was like the best birth partner I could have imagined because like you said they they are the ones that are practicing with you at home or at least they maybe done the hypnobirthing with you Mm -hmm. so then they know what your counting is or like what your breathing is or what what visualizations you've been practicing yeah so they're like the best person yeah and you feel like you're losing your mind yeah because there is always a time isn't there in labor for sure where you feel like you need to like grab all of your techniques like usually it's partners that can be like remember this is yeah. your favorite birth affirmation is there yeah yeah and even just telling you like 
like Austin every now and then would be like, you're doing amazing. Yeah. And then I think I'd tell him to shut up and stop talking. But equally, yeah, I still was like. <laughs> it's funny what you said about the, ma- the massage as well, actually, because I'm the same. I don't like being touched. And also I don't like, I don't like a tickly massage. Yeah. Okay. So I normally do, but apparently not labour. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw um, a video the other day of someone who uh, she was like doing these things for women and, and mums. And she said that tickly massages, when you're feeling like you've got lots going on already, a tickly massage is like a, a bit of a sensory overload. And she said a deeper massage, you know, like rather a hold and pressure. Yeah. Actually makes you feel secure. It's funny you say yeah. that because I actually have part of that in my birth. Should I tell you about my birth? Yeah, go on. So go my on. first birth. So my first birth was everything I could have dreamed of. It was like if you ordered a birth, that was what came. And I'm not being smug because I'm going to go on to talk about my second birth in a minute. Um, I had a lovely water birth. I didn't need any intervention. I had some gas in there. But it's funny what you say, because there was a point in my labor where, correct me if I'm wrong, but can you push, they're trying to push for more than two hours. Is that right? Yeah. So I was the two hours, they, if you're in a midwife led you Which I was. Yeah. They will either, if they can see parts of baby's heads and baby's coming well. Yeah. Then they will most likely encourage you to keep going, but keep an eye on the time. Yeah. But if there's no sign of baby, then your midwife would be advising you to transfer to a yeah. unit. So we got to that point. So everything had been going really well. I'd I'd actually got to the hospital at um I was fully dilated. So I had I'd been so zen at home and chilling. I'd had my lunch. I was like, why should I start at the beginning, should yeah, I? Go on. My birth. Start from the top. So I remember one of my friends was pregnant and she was due after me. And she texted me at it was it was a week to my due date and she texted me at five o'clock in the morning saying Welcome to the world. And her baby had been born. I was over the moon for her, but I remember I burst the tears to Austin. I was like, but it was my turn. Like, she was showing you a week after me. And I had a couple of other friends who they'd been having their babies and they were due yeah. after me. And I was like, this isn't fair. Like, not we're all first time mums. Everyone's meant to be late. And I've still got a week to my due date and they're all having their babies. And it was my turn. And I was really, like, really upset. Um, I now realize I was really upset because I was really hormonal because about two hours later, Austin had gone downstairs to make me a bacon sandwich. My parents had arrived to lay the floor. You know, it always happens on the worst day to yeah. lay new floor. They were helping us lay new floor downstairs because I was a week to my due date. So I wasn't going to have a baby because first time mums are always yeah, always late. <laughs> and I heard this massive pop in my tummy. And I remember calling Austin up and saying, can babies break their neck in the womb? Because honestly, oh. it was like a snap. He was like, you are mental. But I was like, Google it. I was like, go on, Dr. Google. Shouldn't use it. But I was like, find out. Because honestly, it was the biggest noise yeah. ever. So people describe it as well as like an elastic band, like pinging their tummy sometimes. Well, I didn't really they feel like they can feel it. it. I heard okay. it. And I think because I was laying down, nothing came out. And then I sort of like half sat up and just like this gush, like in the movies, just like, flooded out there was no mistaking like have I done a wee or is this my waters it was like no this is my waters um so we rang the hospital I was having no contractions they sent us in to see if there was any meconium or anything just yeah. check baby was fine everything was fine but I was having no contractions and they were like we're gonna book you in for an induction tomorrow morning yeah which I was livid about because in my head I was like excuse me I'm in labor like I don't <laughs> need an induction like, 
actually not here that my waters are broken. So um, you did hypnobirthing. You did hypnobirthing and didn't do antenatal education. Yes. So you did like your coping strategies, yep. techniques, but then not so much with the what happened. Absolutely. And okay. I do think, and again, like I think we'll come on to this more in my second birth, a combination of the two is so important. So yeah, so I was booked in for induction and I went home and I was a bit annoyed because I kind of want to be induced. Like I'm trying to avoid cannulas. I'm going to have a cannula if I get induced. <laughs> so we made it our mission. I was on my birth ball. We went for a walk. We did all of this. I started to have twinges. And I just remember having faith. I just thought, yeah, this is going to happen. Because I think I'm a big believer in like just thinking about the best. And like if yeah. the worst happens, maybe you're ready for it. And it's, it can happen. But always just have hope and have faith and maybe a bit of blind faith sometimes. I'm thinking, I'm going to do this. Like this baby is such to have though. I think especially around birth. But yeah. But Again, I'm not naive to think then stuff won't deviate from that plan. I think yeah. you need to prepare for that as well. But yeah, so I, luckily for me, my contraction started and we phoned hospital because on my app, they were like close together. It looked like I was like in fully full labor. And I spoke to the midwife on the phone because they always want to talk to the mum, don't mm-hmm. they? I now realize to see how well the mum's coping. Yeah. And almost like t- uh, timing your contractions as well. Like if we're chatting to you for 10 minutes and you haven't had a contraction. Yeah. Then kind of get yeah. the vibe that they're more spaced out so they told me to get in the bath and just like try and relax so I did that had a bath got out again everything felt like it ramped up again phoned again the same thing said why don't you have a bath okay so we got in the bath and I just said oh, I can't get comfortable and like this doesn't yeah. feel right and I said you know what let's go to the hospital I know they've told us not to come yet but let's let's just go yeah. in so we went in obviously they're happy to receive you oh, they're not always. like sorry we you didn't, didn't want to come oh. no their <laughs> advice was to stay home but obviously they weren't you know yeah. when we got there they were like oh, come on in the car ride to the hospital was probably one of the hardest things I was like heavily contracting and you're in a position aren't you where like you don't want to be I don't want to be in that position you don't want to be sat like no on a chair do you know when you've got contractions you want to be like flipped over or standing yes so I remember the car ride being terrible and then we obviously got to the hospital and we left our car where you're not we're allowed to leave it there just to get yourself in and your partner has to go and like take it away so we went in and they were a bit like chill and I was saying that you know everything's difficult I'd really like pain relief it's full-on and they were a bit don't think they thought I was in full labor I think because I was quite chill still um and I remember the midwife she was lovely but she was a little bit patronizing she was like before I can give you anything I just need to examine you and I was like okay that's fine but every time she tried to examine me I'd have a contraction and I literally was like nearly kicking her in the head because my body was just making me go back over yeah and it was just like no so I was then going and she, she kept saying Jamie like if you want some pain relief I'm going to need to examine you so eventually yeah. she examined me and honestly, literally her face, she looked so shocked and she just went, oh, and she turned to the woman next to her who was a student midwife and said, get the gas and air going. And then she said, can get someone else to get the call going. And she turned to me and she went, you're fully dilated. Yeah. And I was a bit like, what? Well, <laughs> but equally, I was a bit like, oh, I thought so. I didn't think so. But yeah. I was like, well, this baby does look like it's about to come. Yeah. So remember they sort of like left the room, I guess, because I was in like a little side room. Yeah, they left the room. Yeah. yeah. I also had no pants on because I'd had my examination. So I remember it's like being on all fours, like leaning over the bed. And I felt like I was doing a poo, which is obviously what it does feel like for a lot of women when the baby's coming. And then they said, the pool's ready for you. And so I still have my top on. I went to like, just walk out. And she was like, oh, let's just wrap this around you. Cause I, I didn't care anymore. I was like, but I'm giving birth. I don't care what anyone thinks. Yeah. And then- Get me to that pool and like gas in there. Yeah. And then I got into the pool and it was awesome. So it was so funny because as she turned around to say, if you want to take your clothes off and get in the pool, I was already naked and like basically <laughs> diving into the pool. And I found the pool water such a relief, like to my contractions. It honestly was incredible. Yeah. And so then I was obviously baby was coming. I was pushing. I got to the two hour mark or I think I was near the two hour mark. 
and they'd said, or my midwife said to me, um, if the baby doesn't come soon, we might think about transferring you. And I thought, everything has gone so well. Like I've avoided like an induction of everything's going well. And um, they did press the emergency buzzer and so it did get a little bit stressful. But I remember thinking from my hypnobirthing, I'm thinking every time they would, um, what's it called? The Doppler? The, but the it, slim with the sun. Yeah. So the when you're in the water, I was wireless monitored and every, I don't know how often. Every... So it, uh, seconds uh, pushing is every five minutes. Yeah. Or so like after every time she'd put it on my belly, I remember I used it as a grounding technique and I thought, if you're stressed now, your baby's going to get stressed. So it reminded me to like use my breathing and just calm my body. And then I think every time she did it, it was like a reminder of that. And so then I remember when I knew they were coming in the room, I closed my eyes. I'm not really sure. I never read my notes. I think maybe she was getting a bit distressed, but she was so yeah. close to coming. They explained that as she was descending, she was then going straight back up again. So every yeah, time... Yeah, very normal for... Yeah. Well, all uh, births, but more so in the first time when you... Is it? And she explained it to me. It was like a tennis rocking. ball. Like, yeah. yeah. When she did finally come out, she had her hand over her face. So oh, that was obviously why. Yeah. She, and she's been cheeky ever since. So <laughs> she did, you know. Um, but I remember you talking, going back to the grounding thing. When I was, everyone was in the room. I remember shutting my eyes. I don't know how people were there. I don't think it was loads, but obviously more than just two midwives. I remember a new midwife put her hand on my shoulder and squeezed my shoulder. And it was like the most, it was like the squeeze literally took over my whole body and it just grounded me really? and calmed me and like sent me just like one body. shoulder. But it was like, she just like made me remember that I was like present and I was like having my baby. And then she, and she came out like literally in that moment. And I remember I'd almost been so focused on like staying calm and zen that I'd actually like forgotten I was having a baby. And so the midwife was behind me going, Jamie, catch the baby, catch the baby. And she was like flew out into the pool, which is like in the pool. And I was like, oh yeah, well, yeah there's a baby down there. Oh my God. And then the oh midwife goodness. would help me get the baby up. It was funny. And then she was just like on my chest. And it was just the most amazing moment ever. And I felt like Wonder Woman. I literally thought, I run a marathon now. Like Climb I'm just amazing. And again, yeah. my smugness will end in a minute of like how zen things were. But they were. It was amazing. And hypnobirthing for that type of birth, straightforward birth, was incredible yeah. and did me well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dingy. That was such a lovely story. <laughs> that was literally like, I'm sure if there's first time mums or even second time mums, third, fourth, listening to this, I bet they're like, yes, please. Yeah. I'll take one. I'll of order those. one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Hey guys, I'm interrupting this podcast to talk to you about the sponsor of today's podcast, which is LV. LV is a brand that I really love for so many reasons. I also feel super lucky because they have given me a discount code to share exclusively with you all. So listen up. LV is a health and lifestyle brand that have developed smarter technology for women and like me, are committed to empowering women by developing products aimed at improving their health and lives. Breastfeeding can feel like a full-time job, especially in those early days. Pumping milk can be a great way to share feeding with a partner or friends and family to give you as a new mum a break to either catch up on sleep or just have a well-deserved rest from feeding. The LV Stride is a cutting edge breast pump from LV. It gives hospital grade performance, yet is ultra quiet. It allows you to pump hands-free by placing it in your bra and it is lightweight enough to be comfortably worn under clothing. 
allowing you to pump whilst you go about your day. Such a lifesaver when you have a new baby in tow. LV are giving you 15% off the LV stride until the end of July 2023 using the code bump to baby That's B-U-M-P-T-O-B-A-B-Y. This discount is not available in conjunction with any other offer. And let's get back to the pod. So you then had another baby. I did. And how did that go? So I found myself pregnant right before COVID started. So it was a wild time with that anyway. I also had developed in the, I had a four year gap between my children. I had developed an autoimmune disease, which meant A, I was shielding during the pandemic, but B, it also meant I was consultant led. So even though I had a very straightforward birth, so because my autoimmune disease causes inflammation in the body, they obviously wanted to monitor me a bit more because yeah. inflammation in the body and pregnancy can not always be the best thing. Yeah. So I was consultant led. So it was obviously all new to me because I hadn't been consultant led before. I'd never seen a consultant. Um, so this pregnancy, I did um, hypnobirthing and antenatal education combined. I did the bump to baby chapter. Um, and I tell everyone about it because I think it's amazing. So obviously I'm sure people listening will know, but if they don't, it is, it's all the hypnobirthing stuff you need, but it also is combined with consult, oh, everything you need if you're consultant led too, isn't yeah. it? And beyond. So it's like all about the physiology, physiology of birth, but also it covers cesareans. It covers Induction. inductions, everything. Yeah. yeah. And obviously I wasn't planning any of that because I have had a straightforward vaginal birth and I thought well, that's what I'm getting again like I put my order form in <laughs> yeah. and I was like that's what I'm getting Same again please absolutely <laughs> um and I thought you know I've done it before I probably knows what it's doing so I was consultant led but there was no talk of like my birth being any different I'd started to talk about I'd like to give birth on a birth unit again um in Gloucester where we live the birth unit is attached to the um delivery suite or so that's quite handy because I always thought I could just get transferred quite easily not through an ambulance or anything so that kind of gave me some reassurance and I think my consultant also felt okay if you want to give birth on a midwife led unit the one at Gloucester is fine rather than the we have Stroud and Cheltenham which are midwife led alone I think I've had to maybe negotiate a bit more if I wanted one of those um yeah so I got to 38 weeks and they started to talk about wanting to induce me And it was a little bit frustrating because pregnancy had actually put my autoimmune disease into remission. So they were saying that they they were advising induction because um, when you've got inflammation in your body, the further into pregnancy you go past, I think it's like past 37 weeks is maybe the stats, there is a increase of stillbirth. And obviously when they tell you that and you're pregnant and all your hormones are raging and you're nurturing this little life, of course you're thinking, oh my goodness, Uh, I don't want to do anything that increases my risk of stillbirth. Yeah. But hypnobirthing and doing my antenatal education had actually taught, and I also at the time was working, well, I've worked as a researcher, so I feel like I'm quite stats driven. Yeah. So I remember asking the consultant, well, what's the statistic? And they looked at me like almost like, you know, so shocked that someone would even ask that and they didn't have it. And they were like, well, we need to find out. And I thought, you can't come in here and tell me it's going to increase my risk of stillbirth. But Give me not numbers. Yeah, but not tell yeah. me what the increase was. And that must be really hard as well from both sides because... You want to make a decision, an informed decision. Yeah. So you want to know numbers so you can actually measure it. Because an increase could be an increase from like 0.003 to 0.006. Like, yeah. That's technically a double, but it's yeah. small. 
and it's how they think I'm going to say it. It's yeah. double, but actually it's a 0.1%. And yeah. I think, I can't remember the exact stat, but when I finally did get it, it was something like that. Um, so I negotiated that I would have more growth scans and that I would basically see it week by week from yeah. this was at 38 weeks. So I had I had two growth scans a week and I also had monitoring. I remember going in like yeah. on a Saturday morning and it was like nobody there. I was like a little size room and like, yeah, having some monitoring. And when I got to 39 and a half weeks, my baby was seeming a bit unhappy. So he hadn't grown. He was a big baby. I kept being told he's a big baby, which was stressing me out as well a bit. Um, it annoyed me too that I kept going to always a big baby because I'm really a big believer in like growth scans aren't always accurate, yeah. are they? And also just because you've got a big baby, it doesn't mean that you can't give birth to a big yeah. baby and have still have an amazing birth. Oh, totally. And people throw the words big baby man all the time. I remember as a student when I used to work in community and I worked, you work with loads of different midwives. Yeah. They would often palpate, which is, you know, where you have your bump and your baby felt to determine a position, the amount of times midwives and even as a student myself, I would comment, oh yeah, oh, I think this big baby, yeah, yeah. or like, oh, loads of fluid, or oh, not much. Like we'd make comments, yeah. but actually those comments mean nothing. Yeah. Because yeah, we feel a lot of bumps, but actually we, we are literally feeling a bump. Yeah. We don't know. And even then when you get scanned, you still, it's still, quite inaccurate yeah well, again but that's I had a growth scan with Harper and they thought she was big and she was a six pounder so she oh, wasn't wow. and actually one of the first things I said when she came out was she's tiny because I <laughs> like feel that, that like, she was small yeah so I also was a little bit like is he though you know is he a baby but I think what I was told so I went for another growth scan and he hadn't grown he'd stayed the same and what I did get told by the consultant when I said but how accurate are they they said the actual weights itself might not be accurate but if indicating a lack of growth is pretty accurate because they're basing yeah. it on the last measurements. Yeah. So actually the fact that he hadn't grown for a week was probably quite accurate. Yeah. And also I'd gone in for some monitoring. And again, I don't understand it fully, but I just kept getting told he's not doing exactly what we'd want him to be doing. So he wasn't so like... So when you say monitoring, you mean the CTG... Yeah, just so like the belly band. Yeah, the belly yeah. bands. You've got one measuring baby's heart rate and yeah. the other one measuring if you're having a, a contraction, uh, any contractions. And it's basically a continuous monitoring of baby's heart rates. And then within that, it's a snapshot yeah. of how baby is doing at that moment. As And there's things that uh, we look for as midwives, like um, accelerations, which is when baby will go up to show that they've moved. Like if we ran and then stopped running, it would go up and then come back down. So it's like things like that that we look for. So I think when he was moving, he wasn't having accelerations as they'd like them to be. Okay. So he was just a bit... You know, again, nothing like majorly alarming. No deceleration. I don't think so. Not but at this point. Just, he wasn't moving. Yeah. And so that and the fact that he hadn't grown. This was a Friday. I was 39 and a half weeks. A consultant came in and she said, look, I think your time's up. She didn't say that. Like, it was very much on my choice. She was an amazing consultant. And I kind of agreed. I was like, yeah, let's. And so on my, bang on my 40th week, which was Monday. So they do inductions over the weekend. Yeah. I think I declined one because I didn't want to go on Halloween. So Halloween was the Saturday. I remember yeah. thinking, my daughter loves Halloween. I was like, I can't. She already doesn't want a brother. <laughs> I can't take you. I can't take Halloween from her. So I remember saying, Halloween is now your brother. <laughs> and in my head too, Monday was my 40th week. So I felt like I'd gone to term. You know, I'd yeah. gone to my due date. My body hadn't, for whatever reason, gone into labor itself, even though Harper had come at 39 weeks. So again, I really thought he'd come early. Yeah. Because um, you're told that as well, aren't you? All the myths we get told. Well, yeah. 
like some people you hear where they're like, I always go 10 days over. Yeah. Or I'll always go two weeks early. Yeah, yeah. But even for my own, I've had a term plus two, 37 weeks, 34 weeks, and 39 weeks. Yeah. It's, and actually, I would say the majority of people, it's very random. Yes, yeah, random, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So so I, I went in for my induction. And I actually, you know, so over that weekend, I remember... I knuckled down with my hypnobirthing. I remember going through the induction module. I went through the cesarean module. And to backtrack, what hypnobirthing had really done for me is it had reminded me that with both my pregnancies that I had to make choices. So I think what really helped me going into my induction with my son was that I thought I have chosen induction for these reasons. I've asked the right questions and I feel like this is what is best for me and my baby. And I think that's key, isn't it? I love that. And I wish that more health professionals, more midwives, more doctors made sure that when a woman has come for their induction, that they are going into it knowing that they don't have to be there. Like, yeah. yes, it may be advised to you because of, you know, preeclampsia, obstetrical anesthesia, maybe uh, post-dates, like whatever the reason is, yes, that may be advised to you, but at the end of the day, you can choose to be there or you can choose to not be. And I think that that makes a massive difference to how you then continue for sure going with your birth like it sets your headspace yeah like actually i chose to be here because i feel from the doctor's recommendation that it's a good choice for my baby and you're not just like an an inactive participant very much like the the middle key part of it as well the main character yeah yeah i love that um yeah so i went in and i had an induction and i really wanted to have the balloon but i was like not just to be a bit dilated for that don't yeah. you uh, my body we'll yeah so they wouldn't have they did an examination so they started off with the pessary and they said it could take a long time you'll we, we'll start with the pessary but then you might go into the hormone drip and again I really I still don't like needles I really wanted to avoid a cannula or anything so I was like like gonna do this so she gave me that and because it was COVID Austin was there while they put the pessary in and then he had to go home um so the pessary yeah is prostaglandins yeah and your, your one would have been 24 hours okay but in other hospitals it can be different so oh, okay yeah it can be like a six hour gel or oh, tablet about the gel yeah there's like yeah. different things but where, what you're talking about is the 20 24 hour one isn't it you yeah it's and it's like hour. a little it's like a tablet, tablet on a string yeah, yeah like a so yeah mini so the strings are there but you can't like feel it or anything no. i couldn't even feel the string or anything so yeah so austin was home and then I went out for a walk at the advice of my midwife, I guess, to like try and get things moving. Um, and then before I go on to what happened next, I'm just going to say, because I really feel passionately about not sharing birth horror stories. Yeah. So whilst to probably quite a few people listening, this might sound like a horror story. It's it's not. And also it's very rare, isn't it? Like you obviously, I told you my birth story before. Yeah. So like you know that what did happen is really unlikely. Yeah. But I guess I'm talking about it because it still is my birth story and it yeah. still is how I use hypnobirthing to when things yeah. deviated from the plan so at this point too I still wanted a water birth I still was like I'm gonna get a water birth and I was obviously in the delivery suite and Gloucester has one water birth pool yeah in, in the consultant yeah so I was like that is mine like no one else <laughs> better come in and take like here name yeah. on the door <laughs> so when I got into my induction I got told nobody was using it so also I was like but things better get moving then because that roof is mine <laughs> Um, but what was amazing actually is the woman that delivered Harper was on shift and she like popped her head in and like said hello to me and that was really nice it felt like I just it got me like feeling really pumped in yeah 
I was like, I'm here again. <laughs> I want another one. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was lovely. And then, um, so she checks me and she said, oh, you're, you're four centimetres, which is established yeah. labour. Yeah. So that meant I could go to the delivery suite. Delivery suite. Yeah. Everything then is a bit hazy. So, because you would have also been on a monitor then. You're back, are you back on a CTG monitor at this point? I think I must have been. So yeah. again, during... During all of this, I'd had some on and off monitors, and again, Kit had just been a bit funny. He'd been, yeah. they weren't like really unhappy, but they had they had sent my CTG scan to a consultant to have a look at to sign yeah. to sign it off that he was still happy for us to go ahead because he just wasn't he wasn't really unhappy, but he also wasn't like a really it wasn't like thriving a happy baby. Yeah, you know something was going on. Yeah. Um. So this is when everything just felt like a whirlwind. I don't remember being transferred from the ward to the delivery suite but obviously I was and I think that's one floor you really ramped up I sudden I was suddenly in a lot of pain and I wouldn't necessarily describe my first birth as pain I'd call it more like an intensity yeah like strength yeah you can feel so I was now in the delivery suite I had my midwife and a new midwife because it was near shift change I think they were doing like a bit of a handover and I think the consultant was in and out I can't really remember um, Austin was calling my mum in the bathroom because I wanted to encapsulate my placenta yeah. and we didn't have the cooler bag that you were meant to have. Because I think when he came to visit me, we'd been told, oh, you'll be here for days. So yeah. he just hadn't taken it out of our freezer to bring it. So he's on the phone to my mum because she's here looking after Harper. She doesn't have a car with her. So she's getting in a, she's getting in a taxi. We'll come to the delivery suite. Well, not to come, but, you know, to meet him outside. At this point, I am in so much pain. I remember rolling over onto my front and screaming. Mm. And even at this point in my head, I was like, I don't scream when I give birth. Like, I didn't scream last. Yeah, like, like something's is... happening. Yeah. And at that point, my waters broke and thick meconium came out. We're allowed to be explicit a bit on this, aren't we? Like, my husband said it looked like I had diarrhea coming out my vagina. And I know from other people that sometimes meconium is just like a green tint isn't it yeah so it depends how much water is surrounding baby yeah if baby's had a little poo little meconium in a big sack of water then when the waters go it's going to be like uh like a tinge like a little bit yeah. greeny whereas if there's not a lot of water around baby and then baby does a poo it comes out literally without being diluted so Austin at first thought it was my poo. He thought I had diarrhea. And then he realized it was, wasn't coming out of my bottom. It was coming out of my vagina. He was like, oh. Um. <laughs> and then I remember turning to the midwife and saying, I had gas and air at this point and just like bursting into tears and saying, I can't have a water birth now, can uh, I? Nah. And she said no. But I think she was also in her head thinking, and you're probably not having a vagina uh. <laughs> Like I look back, the irony. So yeah, everything was really intense at this point. And it was all, this was, so my... My labour itself is from when my contraction started to birth is 40 minutes. So that sort of yeah. tells you what a tiny period of time this is all happening in. So I remember then the consultant came in and as he knelt down at my bedside, they're so calm, aren't they? Oh, Even yeah. in like real emergency. And I know you're, you're talking, you're talking Dr. About. Chris, just like a legend, Dr. love him Chris. so much. He just knelt down, he put his hands together really calmly and he just said to me, your baby is very unhappy. And I knew what he was going to say and I interrupted him and I said, do a C-section. And then I didn't have to sign anything because it was, it was very, it needed to be done very quickly. Because yeah. at this point, so they put a fetal electrode on Kit's head, which I had been asked consent for, but I don't remember it happening. Yeah. And he barely had a heartbeat. So I think he was very unhappy. So a fetal scalp electrode yeah. can be called an FSC and it goes on the top of baby's head and it picks up baby's heart rate. 
And with the FSE, there is less interference because sometimes with the abdominal monitors, the CTG, we can pick up mum's um, pulse. Yeah. So an FSE, you can tell more if that's baby's heart rate or there's confusion with mum's. Yes. And so because, no, thank you. And so because he looked really unhappy on the one around my belly, that's why they'd done that. Yeah. And apparently it was really interesting because after he was born, the student midwife asked me if she could take a photo of it to take to her lectures. So apparently my, like, his heart monitor was just very interesting. Like it showed him, like, becoming more and more unhappy and then it yeah. showed the change. Anyway, so I was then um, rushed to theatre. I do not remember being rushed to theatre and I was put out under general anaesthetic. I'm assuming because to do an epidural, it would have taken time to set in, time they didn't have. Is yeah, that right? That's yeah. exactly right. So with a spinal anaesthetic, um, a quick one, by the time you've sat up, got into the right position, um, and it's gone in, and then it, even a really quick one is to put in is probably, well, I don't know, five, ten minutes, yeah. and then to work is another few minutes. But if you don't have that time because it's dangerous for baby. Yeah. And it was done in minutes. Then a general anaesthetic yeah. would be your best option. So I was put out into general. My husband had to stay out of the room. Yeah. Even in that moment of being rushed to theatre, I didn't feel scared, which is like really yeah, key, isn't it? And I remember thinking, again, just like when Harp was being born, I remember thinking, even though I knew this was a real emergency, I remember thinking, don't panic because your baby can hear your heartbeat, just like with Harper. And if he hears your heartbeat going crazy, then he's going to think something's wrong. So just like let him think everything's chill. Yeah. And that, like, that gave me like a tiny bit of control and like a, I felt like I was still doing something to yeah. help. Um, but yeah, I remember. That is, that is it, like incredible that even in the midst of a lot of drama, drama yeah, you can still feel some sense of control. And I know that that can sound really silly because you're like, well, obviously you're not in control because you, you know, you're on a bed, your your baby's unhappy, like you're going for a, a cesarean, you're having to have a general, like those are all, you know, when we um, say like, you shouldn't really say you have to, it's yeah. your choice. Like your choice then yeah. was very limited. I didn't really it have was, a choice, even though yeah. I did. You did. The outcome would, the have, outcome been would have been catastrophic. Been yeah. yeah. So it is more, you have to yeah you had to have a general you had to have a cesarean but that choice for you was that you could choose to remain calm in that situation and you made a choice to keep your baby safe absolutely that understood what was happening and I think that was the key of me doing the antenatal education is that as soon as Dr Chris sort of told me the baby was unhappy I knew what was coming next yeah and you know I, I interrupted him from saying this is our advice to you because I knew what was coming and I think that was from my antenatal education yeah and it didn't feel scary I think it felt like the best decision yeah. it felt like that's what's needed and actually you know I was in a lot of pain and I knew I knew based on the pain I was in that something was not going well yeah so I just thought this is what's happening I didn't actually understand I was gonna get put to sleep I don't think they must have said it to me but I don't remember you don't remember the conversation no but I, obviously they must have but I think yeah. Literally, from me leaving that room to me being in the theatre was a matter of minutes. And suddenly you've got this huge team around you. And I think I just also remember thinking everyone here is so skilled. And everyone's goal here, without being dramatic, but it was dramatic, everyone's goal is to keep me and my baby alive. That is their, that is what they want the outcome to be. Yeah. This is like a team. And they're like, here, support me. But and make you feel like included and respected and like still an element of control. Like, you yeah. know, how you've always spoke about 
Dr. Chris and how he like came down to a level and and the way he spoke to you. Yeah. Like things like that you you don't forget. No. Like, you won't forget For how sure. someone treated you in in a situation which could yeah. have been incredibly scary Absolutely. for you. And so I remember the anesthetist putting the cannula in. That's like the last thing I remember. Like, and I remember thinking, fucking irony. Because <laughs> it's all I didn't I did want. did not want this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't want it. And now you're doing it. And I'm having like probably what was my plan Z of how to yeah. give birth to a baby. Um, but yeah, so so Kit was born. He had to be resuscitated. He was very, very poorly. He was on a CPAP machine. So like a lot of oxygen. Um, he had to yeah be resuscitated. And he was in the NICU. So when I then woke up from being under general, oh, this is another thing actually that I will add is I think nobody wants to think about worst case scenarios, Yeah. which mine was, you know, one of my lesser what I wanted. But I think it's really important to have those conversations with your partner. So one of the things that I said to my husband way back when we were having our first baby was if something, if me and the baby have to be separated for some reason, and this might make me sound really selfish, but this was just my choice. I said, I want you to stay with me unless something really terrible is happening with the baby that like the baby needs you there. You know, if the baby is in the NICU or in special care and it's being, it's fine, please stay with me because I know that I will be like losing it. I'll be spiraling. And so to be fair to my husband, Kit got taken to the NICU. Austin did go to the NICU for a little bit. And then when he felt like things were sort of like stable, he came back to me and he was there when I woke up. And I think if he hadn't have been there when I woke up, it would have been like- You would have felt awful. awful. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm so glad that I conversation with him before yeah. um not that I ever thought I'd be put under general but no I didn't mean it in that scenario but I just meant it in like in general yeah um yeah so that was a really key thing so I woke up baby wasn't there they had some concerns the baby might be brain damaged so it was a really like awful thing to happen you know to wake up from birth and not even know if your baby's okay yeah um but every single healthcare professional, every single midwife that I had deal with me afterwards was just incredible. They were so validating. I think I really wanted to wear the strong badge of like, I'm fine and like my baby's fine and that's all that matters to my baby. Every single midwife, student midwife that met me, all of them validated. They were all like, you've been through something very traumatic. Because yeah. GA sections are really rare, aren't they? They are. They are. Yeah, they are. I'm not sure on what the actual stat is. I, I would take a guess that it's probably somewhere between I don't know maybe like one percent yeah like it's it's unusual I could I can probably count on my hand maybe maybe two three that I've I've never actually been in with someone actually with Gemini so it's always cared for them after yeah so you know it is it's not something it's I've come across yeah loads um but it does it it has a big impact, doesn't it? On yeah, when you wake up with things like um, even like bonding with your baby mm-hmm. and and things like because you you don't actually see your baby being born. Strange. Yeah, and we couldn't hold him for a while because he was having brain scans and things. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but even talking about like the validation of it, like the consultant came yeah. and saw me like every day while I was in the hospital. He came to see me, mm-hmm. and again, I remember thinking in my head like, "You're so busy, but like you're coming to see me," and again. Yeah, and again, he was like, I just wanted to check on you. Like, you went through something really traumatic. Yeah. And I think all of that really helped me to, like, think, you know what? Like, you did get something traumatic. Traumatic. I need to, like, validate that in myself. Yeah, to start the processing of it. Yeah. First, no, don't you? That yeah. actually, it wasn't 
necessarily normal or, or yeah it was a traumatic experience yeah and we had we had some counseling after because again talking of bonding with the baby so we didn't hold care and then when you have a baby in the NICU which obviously you know because your third was in the NICU it's so strange I almost feel like I was in a lot of pain so I struggled to pick him up I'd need like help he had loads of wires on him I didn't want to knock them out so like to access your baby you have to have help and that was so weird because, like, when Harper was born, she was, like, my baby. She was on my chest. And then, like, she was mine. Like, I didn't have to ask anyone what, if I could do this with her. Whereas with Kit, I remember having to say, like, is it okay if I do this? And I'm, like, Harper made him a card. And I remember saying, like, is it okay if I put this card, like, yes, next to his bed? And, like, okay? like yeah, infection yeah. control and yeah. all sorts of things. I just, and I remember when he was, like, due to be discharged, I almost, like, didn't want him to be discharged because I thought, that's not my baby though and I also felt scared of looking after him I was like I can't keep that baby safe yeah um really relate to that because I remember with Nancy where she went to special care mm. all at 34 weeks I then went to see her and where I was a midwife I'd been done that with women many times I was look I looked at Nancy and I thought is that is that actually my baby like, yeah are you sure it's not that word like it was really strange, yeah. Really weird. But for anyone who's listening and worried about this, I I don't know if you would agree, but I found skin to skin helped. And I was going to say, yeah, because yeah. you can't always you can't because they're in NICU. They the nurses are really good, aren't they, at facilitating skin to skin? Yeah. Sometimes other things take priority, like brain scans and, yeah, and yeah. things. But you, the more you can do the better you will feel and it might just be that you it's a bit more delayed than what you originally planned yeah. I was going to say that yeah it's, that it's never too late it's never too late. Then when Kit did get discharged we literally spent like two weeks in bed like yes he was in a nappy and I was topless and we like made up for all the time that we'd missed out and oh, I think that's so nice. it was so nice yeah. I have a photo like two days after we'd been home of me holding him like and having skin to skin and it's probably one of my favorite photos with yeah. him because it was a bit like oh my god baby we did it like we got through all of that like trauma and like we're Look at, at home now. now and like and we yeah. and I I think also I remember taking that photo and thinking like oh, I actually really love him like no. because not that I didn't love him before but I just he felt like a little alien like he yeah. wasn't like he was my baby but he wasn't my baby it was weird and I think it's okay to say that you did feel connected with him straight away yeah like you didn't feel bonded maybe you didn't feel love like you knew he was yours to protect but yes and I think not that's key love i wanted to keep him safe but he just felt a bit yeah. like like alien and i think that's such a taboo thing to say isn't it yeah like and everyone you know you don't want to say i didn't feel bonded to my baby but i think quite a lot of people do not even who've had a traumatic birth think we've yeah. had like quite a straightforward birth can feel like that as well can't they it's such yeah. a is a crazy thing that you go through whatever kind of birth and your hormones are raging and all of this so i think yeah it's yeah. it's okay and like and it can come it can people talk about the instant rush of love and i did have that with harper but it's okay if you don't have that. Yeah. Because it will come. Because with, you know, we put a lot of um, focus on the golden hour when we say yeah. how important it is for breastfeeding. And, and whilst that is so true, and it is important if you can to do that golden hour, yeah. but equally, if something else takes a priority, yeah, then that hour shouldn't be lost to you. Yeah. That golden time, like you said, you can do it at a later date when... Yeah when like safety and survival is not your priority I would, no I said that wrong but you know what I mean no I it's know what you mean. no longer your priority because it's given yeah because you are safe now because you are safe yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah and I think because I think I felt 
quite a lot of sadness over that for a while. And I almost think in some ways, hypnobirthing alone, the first course I did, did me a little bit dirty. Because I think hypnobirthing, the, the hypnobirthing course that I did was very much structured around a vaginal birth. And I think because I then got that birth, I then felt like, yeah, I did it. Like yeah. I passed hypnobirthing. And actually, I think when I came on to do the second course, which was the bump to me was <laughs> so the midwife led one that combined everything i think i realized that actually hypnobirthing has its place in all kinds of births massively dead and you said before aren't you like you think it actually might even be even more important if you're like yeah. having consultant led or things are deviating from the plan because that's when actually you feel this loss of control um and you need something to keep for your own and that's yes. your breath your visualizations your birth affirmations how you're reacting in that situation like informed choices informed choices like yeah. There's so much that you can hold on to when you feel like you're losing control. Yeah. And I think that you get that less with a straightforward birth. Like if you didn't yeah, do yeah. hypnobirthing on your first birth, it it could have, it, you know, you, you may not have felt, it may not have felt exactly the same, but that was the way your birth was projecting to go that yeah. time. Yeah. So you yeah. kind of need, need less techniques because it's all going obviously you could argue it both ways but yeah but I, I do think there is yeah. some degree of luck in birth isn't there totally. like obviously I think birth prep is really important and I think that could massively it can help your birth like oxytocin and keeping calm and all these things are important they can also be important in how you process your birth yeah. but I think in how your birth actually goes some of it is just down to fate you can only stack the odds in your favor for a birth to go your way but there it's a two-way street isn't it like yeah. your baby has got his own agenda and mm -hmm. then other things always going on and yeah. then I think it's really important to hold on to that you are only in control of what you can control yeah no it's true though isn't it I know that yeah. sounds like a silly statement but no I get what you're saying yeah um yeah because they never found out why Kit's birth went so wild like they thought maybe my placenta had started to die yeah um but they tested it and it had and they did like a full they actually did an external investigation because at one point they were worried if Kit was gonna if he was going to survive so literally the moment he was born and taken to the NICU this investigation was launched yeah, by the consultant um and that yeah. yeah but it wasn't kept sanitary because going back to me really honest oh, I wanted it encapsulated and I remember one of the first things the midwife said to me was I'm so sorry I read your birth notes and it was too late because it has to be put like straight in yeah it? it can't be like on a surface or in like the tray or whatever because it's yeah. not 100% sanitary or is that why yeah but also if it was, imagine if it was kept sanitary and, and someone said to you, we can choose to send off your placenta to yeah, yeah. ology and see if it had an impact on Kit's birth. Yeah. Or you can take it home for encapsulation. Yeah. I'd have chosen the first. Yeah. But I think that's the thing. There's poor midwife. I think because I'd had everything taken away from me, <laughs> I think she felt like, and I've just also taken something else away. But at this point, I really didn't care. I was yeah. like, is my, that's yeah. fine. Like, don't yeah. worry about it. But I remember like, I could see like the guilt in her face, like as she told me that she tried like it not gone in there, and I was like, "That's I'd forgotten I even had a placenta." <laughs> I I don't. Um, I'm not necessarily. I haven't necessarily tried a bit of silly things, but I one couple that I looked after, and um, they were coming in for an elective cesarean, and their main thing on their birth plan was that they wanted because this happened with their first cesarean, their second, they wanted they didn't know the gender. And they wanted the gender to be found out by a hat reveal. So me as a midwife had to um, take the baby away, 
wrap the baby and put a coloured hat on it. To That's the nice, but it's not going this way, is it? Such a nice <laughs> idea. So I took the baby um, over to the resuscitator, drying it, weighing it as they wanted. Um, but the baby was screaming and crying. And I, I was thinking everyone was silent because nobody wanted to speak because nobody wanted to be the person that let out the reveal. And but I was there thinking they're going to think I'm just looking awful to their newborn baby because she's screaming the place down here. And I said, "Don't worry, I'm just weighing her." And I thought, "Oh, I've just said her." And the whole team looked at me like, "What have you done?" <laughs> but they. And then I took the baby round. I'm so sorry. But the, the dad heard, but the mum, I don't know whether she heard and she just knew. She being nice. She was just being nice to me. But she was like, oh, don't worry, I didn't even notice. So either way, like, she was, was fine about it. And I'm sure that would be a funny story for them. Yeah, yeah. Instagram, but, yeah, I just felt just like the world to swallow me up. Like, oh, it's a lot for midwives and doctors though isn't it yeah again like this midwife's job was to like look after me and kit not necessarily to make sure i got my percent yeah to take home. there's a lot of plates to spin <laughs> and obviously my birthday was a lot of plates to spin yeah. so I, I was like please don't worry but also you you want to prioritize your birth preferences but then you're equally prioritizing like safety and and yeah. everything as well like it it but yeah it's yeah it's hard it's hard sometimes to spin it all yeah so, um, I should probably add that Kit is all good now. So he's uh, two and a yeah. half. So we went through all of that and yeah, he was discharged from the NICU and then he was discharged from pediatrics. So he is mm. amazing. And it's amazing how resilient babies can yeah, be, I think. Because we went through all of that and I never, ever in a million years thought that I would have a seemingly very healthy two and a half year old. Yeah. I, that doesn't seem to have any impacts from his birth. So do you feel like hypnobirthing helped you in both of your births a hundred percent yeah but I think the addition of antenatal education was key I think if I'd have done in fact I don't think I'm almost 100% sure if I'd have just done my in-person just hypnobirthing and had the birth I had with Kit I think I'd have been way more traumatized than what I was because I think I'd have felt like I failed and I had a friend who did hypnobirthing just hypnobirthing in the same course that I did and she ended up same having first course. Yeah, the same first course, <laughs> just to make that clear. She ended up having um episiotomy and forceps. Uh, yeah. And I remember weeks later, I literally was on top of the world feeling a bit smug because I'd had this amazing vaginal mm. birth. And I remember her saying that she's talking about her forceps birth and saying, Well, I I almost like I failed. And I remember being heartbroken because wow. I thought, I haven't failed. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like you've you've given birth. However, however you give birth, whether it's abdominally, vaginally, with a bit of help, that's birth, isn't it? It is massively amazing. Birth is one part of a massive journey, isn't it? Like you've got, you know, conceiving, pregnancy, birth, like the fourth trimester. Like it's one big thing that, yeah, as women we do. And I, it's so sad that your friend felt that way. Really sad, and actually. I, I think it was because the sort of hypnobirthing that we did was just so geared around having a vaginal birth mm. and it didn't really cover much else. And it was also a bit, you know, um, try and avoid, don't have any sweets, avoid induction as much as you can when actually all those things have their place. Yeah. You know, if, if that's your choice to want to avoid those things, I think 
that's great. Yeah. But as long as you're making informed choices and it's not from like scaremongering and fear, you're doing it because it's, you believe it's right for you and your baby. Uh, it's your research led. 100%. And I couldn't agree more. Like it, I find it really hard because you read a lot on the internet, social media, there's loads uh, around and it's really hard to read, you know, when, when the, a mainstream message to avoid induction, inductions are always bad yeah. because it's, it's so narrow minded and not individualized Yeah, because for, for certain people or situations, yes, inductions overuse, but actually it's a very, very necessary part. Yeah, absolutely. Of, you know, some people's baths. And we've been advised that if we are to have a third baby. Yeah. I I did ask a consultant because I'm just an overthinker. So when I had yeah. um, a conversation with a consultant after Kit's birth, I said, what would your advice be for me if I have another baby? I think because I thought I want to, I'm the kind of person, I want all the information before I choose yeah. to have a And you baby. are considering that, you? We are considering, yeah. And I'm pretty sure I have an elective C-section, which yeah. means I'll have experienced a full shabelle. <laughs> I'll have ordered all three. Um, but yeah, and I feel like that's a very informed choice. Yeah. But I would have, I think years ago when I had my first baby, I would have probably thought that was like, that was like failure. Like, I don't yeah. want a cesarean because that's like, that's the worst kind of birth you can have when yeah. it's not. Like, I actually am quite looking forward to having a calm cesarean if yeah. we are fortunate enough to have another baby. But I think it can be done really well, can't it? Yeah. And that will probably be the safest thing me and the baby so yeah so Jamie yes um to wrap up our podcast what advice would you give uh to your children uh when they are expecting if they choose when they are expecting their first baby what advice would you give them okay I'm going to do two I'm going to do one to help them with birth and one to help them with parenthood so my one for birth is it's my favorite affirmation and it is you are strong enough to walk whatever path your birth takes and I had that in my head in both my births I think it's really important for us to remember that we are amazing we are birthers and whatever whatever path our birth takes like we can do it like we are strong aren't we and so I think that's probably my advice is to just remember that even if things deviate from the plan like you can do it and like and you will do it and it will be okay then my advice for parenting, it probably links a bit more to like my budgeting stuff that I share on TikTok, is um, to not fall into the comparison trap. I think it's so easy in a time of social media. Mm. And I really fell into this when I had my first baby, which was the motivation behind why I started the things that I do, um, was that I looked at everyone else and I just thought everyone else was doing better than I was. They had more money than me. They had cleaner homes than me. They, had, they were better mothers than me. And I actually had postnatal depression with my first baby. And I think that was a massive contributor to it. She also cried all the time, but <laughs> that's by the by. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's just important to remember that actually like in your lane, you're fine. And often there are things going on for other people that we don't know about. Yeah. People only share, not just on social media, but even like they your friends face to face. They might not share all their lows with you. And I think it's important to remember that like you're doing just fine where you are. And yeah. I want my kids yeah. to just be happy and just think, oh, I'm good here. I'm good. In my yeah, life. I'm not worse than anyone else. I'm yeah. just, That's I'm nice. good. So your uh, your birth story is on the Bumps Baby Chapter blog. Um, so I'll share that link in the description for anyone who wants to have another read through or, um, you know, save it or whatever. And 
where can someone where can people find you if they want to know more about your budgeting um tips and and all that jazz they can find me on tiktok at savvy jamie and on instagram at savvy jamie rose lovely thank you for coming today jamie thank you so much for having me i've had the best time <laughs>